0: first of all, I just want to say welcome everyone. I'm very happy to be speaking today with uh, Reggie Walker. He's the author of Life is Funny, But It Ain't No Joke, A Journey of Awakening Through Wisdom Sayings. Uh, And I met Reggie a few times. Uh, Most recently, we were together on a two-day retreat that I led. And in talking during and after the retreat, it was clear that we were inspired by some of the same insights uh, and the same or very similar awakening experiences. uh, And that made me want to speak with Reggie and introduce all of my listeners to him. So first of all, Reggie, thank you so much for getting on.
1: Thank you very much, Jeff. I'm very excited about being on with you today.
0: Me too. Um, So Reggie, I thought before we dive into your book, which is, of course, the main event here, uh, I wanted to see yes. if I could ask you to just introduce yourself, uh, not necessarily spiritually, because we'll talk about that. But but just right, a short right, introduction, right. so people know. Okay, who is Reggie, the guy who wrote this book? Uh, I'm originally
1: from South Philly. For those in the Philadelphia area and who have been there, uh, Fifth and Carpenter. It's now again called Queen Village, as it's been transformed, to use a gentle term. And I grew up there until I was about twelve, and then my family and I moved to what is what was then called Knife Town, which is in the northern part of the city, around Erie Avenue. For those who've been on the subway or road a bus, you may have seen that avenue. And I was there through, I guess. Until I was 21, and I had finished by then uh, one or two years of college. Uh, I initially attended uh, Howard University, and then I transferred for my second year, I think it was, to LaSalle University. And then from there, by now I'm old and tired of school, but uh, I had another opportunity after being down south with the movements, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which was a youth group that grew out of uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference and split off because uh, we were dealing with the identity of people of African descent and the fact that we were not pacifists per se. So that was a small group that broke off of Student Advocate Coordinating Committee itself, and I was with them for a while. In fact, I went down south, and I spent time uh, in Alabama, in Greene County, Alabama, where I was exposed to a lot of raw, very real, vibrant American beliefs and values and behaviors, which were uh, a little disturbing and sobering for me. But then when I returned, I did uh, meet this young man who used to come to a a bookstore. I had a bookstore originally on 52nd Street in West Philadelphia, the first one of its kind, an all-African bookstore. That meant African people from all around the world, not just from Africa. We're still Africans. As Malcolm said, if a cat has kittens in the oven, it don't make them biscuits. So we're still African people. We're just here. And uh, I operated in that theater, and from there, uh, my friend, colleague, customer, persuaded me to uh, enroll in a program at the University of Pennsylvania that they were looking for students who might apply and resume or begin their university uh, experience, at least to obtain their bachelor's degree. So I did, and I did well, and so I was accepted into Wharton, and I graduated a couple of years later. Uh, and then I started my travels throughout Western Europe because I'm, I guess what they call biracial now. I don't look like that to most folks. Most folks actually think I'm black, just physically black. And I'm saying, look at me, put your hand next to mine. I'm mixed. Where do you think the mix has come from? And that's the issue we have oppressed, suppressed and denied in the society. What went on between the races over the four centuries? From there, I spent time traveling throughout Western Europe. I went to most of the
0: smaller countries, and then I went into Africa and completed a loop of sorts. So that was an eight-month grand
1: tour. And then I came back. By then, I had, I've been married for several years. Then I came back to my wife and kids and resumed my life. Um, well, that's not true. I apologize to you, Jeff. While I was traveling throughout Africa, I had an awakening experience in Addis Ababa, which is the capital of Ethiopia. And it was there that I finally experienced my true self. And the higher self, in fact, is no self, of self at all. The lower self is a self. Because that's who I am running around here with a personality in this body, in this conditioned mind and ego. But the higher self is really no self at all. It's a state of awareness. It's pure consciousness. So I came in touch with that. And the energy of that higher presence, that higher force, connected with my lower self and out of that groove a number of different things that I didn't even realize that I possessed as a real teacher, uh, as a spiritual guide, as a healer. And when I mean healer, I don't have a stethoscope running around tapping people in the chest. Uh, The work that I do, it it always takes the form of healing, liberating, and and renewing people. So basically, it's it's a spiritual healing form. So that's where I am now. And out of that, Many years later, uh, the book came to through me, as it were, because I would never think, oh, I'll write a book. Nah, not me. Uh, I'm still learning the language, so to speak. But the book came out, and there it was. Uh, Life is Funny, But It Ain't No Joke. And that's been pretty much where I've been since then, and I've done a number of other things in between us. Right now, a little busy for uh, our audience, I would think. But as
0: if and when they read the book, they'll get a the chance to be exposed more generally to my other endeavors and travels and involvements. That's fantastic, Reggie. So uh, hearing your story now m- makes me feel like um, I would like to ask you one more question before I ask you the questions uh, I've thought through about your book, which is since the last time you and I spoke, which was only three or four weeks ago, The whole country's been in an upheaval of uh, a fight against racial injustice, and you were part of that many years ago, as you just said. I'm curious about two things. One, how you see what's happening today in comparison to what you were involved with decades ago, and also how you would relate that struggle for uh, social justice to the awakening uh, that your book is about.
1: Uh, I I guess when I look at what's going on, I look at it from a place of a global consciousness. Uh, I see this whole experience, the eruptions, um, the asking for breath, is really a reflection of what the planet is saying through us. The living body is Mother Earth, and Mother Earth has given birth to us and all the other life forms that exist from time to time on this planet. And that energy from Mother Earth is speaking through us. And when someone says, I can't breathe, and we say, oh, okay, he's on his neck. Yes, he's on his neck, but it's also a cry. From the planet saying the way that we are dealing with things, the earth is suffocating. And if that, which is the source of all life, suffocates, we go with it. We need to be real clear about that. So I can look at the microcosm, but I really like the global perspective. And out of that, Mother Nature is forcing us to become a global community through the virus and other ways, the, you know, climate problems and all. Mother Nature say these suckers are so ignorant in denial of who they are and their role on this planet, I'm going to push them before they push everything out of the kilter. And we don't even understand the relationship between Earth and the other bodies just in this immediate part of the Milky Way, the solar system that we're part of. And we don't know what imbalancing that may cause throughout this small system, as it were, of planets. So I'm looking at it from that perspective. And then in terms of the social dynamic, which I find interesting, I was talking to my wife, Jerry, who you know, uh, and I was saying, isn't it interesting that this movement was really afoot quite some time. Eighty percent of those who voted for Obama were white folks. Eighty percent of those who voted for Obama were white folks. So there was already an opening of seeing and a feeling and listening and then acting on the presence of intelligence and character and discipline and a sense of leadership and the responsibilities that go along with that, way back then, in 2008. And now we had a place where we have a president who uh, he's going to make, pay attention, he's going to make America great again despite himself. But it's not going to happen the way he thought it was. But what he's saying is what it is. America will be great again. So he is nothing but the, uh, the, the magnet that's drawing out or the poultice that's drawing out the toxins that exist in our system. He's not creating damn things. He's just the focal point of that. And once it's out, like it is now, and we see so many young people in particular involved in this movement, And there's a critical mass now of younger white folks coming out whose parents were involved with the movement in terms of Obama and Michelle. And they have learned in their homes, you know, what kind of society we should have. So they're out there. And it's all on TV. It's always advertising with black up You can't see a commercial on TV without some black folks somewhere in there. So young people are growing up saying, oh, this is how we're supposed to be and how it is. So we have a serious movement going on. When you look back to the 60s, it was very small and it was isolated because the, there wasn't any social media or anything else of that ilk to carry it, to promote it. And there wasn't really any passion for that. That was like, that's black folks. That's what their problem is. Yeah, they get it or they don't. As long as they don't, you know, cause no problems for me, I'm okay. So the whole consciousness of the world order is changing. We know that what affects one affects another. Mm -hmm. So that's a a new awakening in, in, in a certain dimension of our... Total humanity that has been renewed
0: and awakened. That's beautiful. That's incredibly well said. Uh, thank you. I, I knew I was putting you on the spot, but uh, I also knew you could handle it. So I, I guess, you know, diving into your book, and I think, I think a lot of, of course, as you just said, everything that's in your book relates to everything, including yeah. many of the challenges we now face. One of the things I find interesting about your book, uh, of which there are many, is that you, the book revolves around a, a spiritual experience, which essentially happened in two parts. And one of the things I find interesting is that I've often in my own life and, and particularly the spiritual experience that I would say really defined my life, uh, happened in two parts that were separated by a few years. The first was sort of an opening, and then there was a kind of a process of, of exploring the opening and, and I think integrating the energies that, that had come into focus. And then there was a culminating experience that kind of brought it to a close. So I wanted to start with you by, by asking you to, describe a little bit about that initial experience which you know was yeah. was a darker experience and us and a kind of frightening experience but a very profound one yes
1: yeah. yes yeah, yeah. i think i think energetically it might- Light changed, a scene from my past clicked into view like a slide in a projector. These familiar images exposed me to a chilling reality I was ill prepared to face. My life was not of my own conscious making. I was forced to come face to face with the reality that I made nothing happen. Everything had happened to me. My life had been unfolding according to the dictates of this thing, this cold, impersonal, unbelievably loud machine with its alternated, alternating colored light. While I was asleep, unconscious, this life form had captured my consciousness and was living through me. Because my eyes were open, I was lulled into believing that I was awake. But like a total eclipse of the sun, this dark unknown presence had blighted, blotted out the light of my true nature. Mercifully, I was finally released from the terror inside me. It seemed to last a lifetime, but all I know was merely a split second. I tried to convince myself it, capitalized, didn't happen. But from inside, I heard a still small voice that I couldn't ignore. This truth cannot be denied. In a flash, all my cherished beliefs and values, and with them my identity vanished. The compass that had guided me through life was no more. I no longer had any idea who I was, where I was headed, or even the sensation of being alive. I was a shell of my former self, a proverbial dead man walking. Yet, at the time of the death of who I believed, italicized, believed I was, I could only mourn after all, that self was the only me I knew.
0: It's a beautiful passage. Thank you. So, Reggie, a couple of things are striking me. have you ever, by chance, read the science fiction author Philip K. Dick?
1: No.
0: I'm just realizing, hearing this this time, that your experience, especially the the the, the machinery, you know, because you describe hearing machinery, you describe lights and images flashing, that sounds so much like his spiritual experience, which was... Wow. in many ways very uh similar to yours and and equally scary okay. but tell me um so that's that's your that's okay. the description you wrote in the book but what actually happened to you then what do you think happened to you when you heard that and and experienced all that
1: well i think i think I what was, happened was I have been digging at things you know what I call myself just now, I've mean, I, I known him for a while, but the first thing I wanted to be when I was a kid, maybe 12 or 13, was a paleontologist. You know, someone who goes and digs with fossils and puts it together, goes deep into the underground. You know, I mean, it just came to me. I was like, man, you're, you're a problem, man, and, you know, in the, in the hood. <laughs> nobody talk like that about no career? And I was like, yeah, well, anyway, I like that idea. But later on in dealing with this book, I realized that I am a spiritual paleontologist, that that's the work that I do, that I go in and dig these things up. So going back three uh, the initial a phase, like you said, there were two phases, two two experiences, as they were, and I was digging up and challenging everything. I got into Belikovsky, who wrote a book called Earth In Collision, and you know I was into that, and then I eventually got moved off into unidentified flying objects because I couldn't find an answer here for. That power, I knew the power existed because I've seen it uh, in other people, you know, like on TV or in books where they talk about people who can touch something and know about that person and just levitating, healing people without medical devices and chemicals. So I knew there existed a force somewhere that at least some individuals, fortunately, one would hope, uh, was beneficial, was empowering. That was healing and renewing. And I said, man, I sure like to get at that. So me, as a paleontologist, I continue to dig. And I dug so much that all of my bel- basic beliefs of values and assumptions were overturned. And in doing that, I slipped out of this dimension into some twilight realm, as it were, because I didn't know what it was. And it was there that I saw the imagery that I describe in the book. The mind was a great machine. And when the mind is not directed or guided by a conscious entity, namely oneself, hopefully, rather than everybody else, Then, when it's not guided that way, it's just a, it's a, it's an information machine. It's a knowledge grab, grabbing machine, but it's not wisdom based. There's a difference between knowledge, which is preparation for wisdom, possibly, and then there's wisdom, the distillation out of knowledge into the deeper knowing of things, just as they are in reality. So, I messed around and slipped over into this unknown or twilight zone. And it was there that I had these experiences. And what happened was
0: my ego
1: collapsed. Some people say died. But the ego has a tendency when you develop a new belief, assumption, uh, thought system, It'll go back with that. And that's why I guess some traditions always meditate and do things too. Um, Like the, in the East, some of them, Buddhists in particular, their goal is to extinguish the ego. Well, we in the West. I don't think we're going to do that right now. But be that as it may, I got caught up into that experience. And I lost my mind. But fortunately... Later on, I realized it wasn't my mind anyway that I was being free by having this uh, death of the false self. Of course, I didn't know about death of anybody or anything at that point. I just knew that I had been completely traumatized, mm-hmm. that I had been stripped of everything that made me a human being. And it was the experience was so overwhelming that for two or three or more days, I couldn't stand erect. I was bent over, maybe at a 40 degree, 45 degree angle, or 30, I'm not sure. But that's the way I walked around. I couldn't stand erect. That force was so powerful that it could continue from wherever its source was to direct even my outer self. Mm. So that began... Uh, my journey, I then went, as I say in the book, I went to my mom because my mother had, had these, she had that psychic gift and she hadn't completely suppressed it, although all of her uh, parents, grandparents and others, they said, no, that stuff is evil. You know, because coming out of Africa, in Christianized people said everything that wasn't their thing was evil anyway. So it was you supposed to suppress that, deny that. But Mom, I'm her son. She couldn't do that. Her spirit wouldn't allow that. So I went to her, and she saw an old man. The same thing that happened to Wagner, uh, the great composer. Not Wagner. What's the other one's name? The one who thought he was Superman. can't think of his name right now. But I don't think it was Wagner. It may have been. It was Jack Presence that had come out in in, in fact in some religious orders they call that old Adam I think you can even find it somewhere stated in the Bible there's new Adam and there's old Adam so old Adam had arisen out of my consciousness because I had opened that portal and didn't recognize what I had done you know I was just being curious I just wanted to know where's the source of life Where's the power that comes from that's different than just what happens with the five senses and the brain and stuff? Where is that? And here comes this thing. I won't call it a human being. It was just an energy form. And mom said, as I sat down at the end of the bed, she looked at me, she said, she sat up in the bed and she, you know, scrunched or whatever, twisted her face, and then she said, I see an old man standing over you. He's pressing down on your shoulders. That's why I was bent over. He's trying to take over. Don't let him. Fight him. My mother never talked about fighting. I mean, she was very genteel from the old South, literally. I mean, she had all of that, you know, in her character and in her ways of, you know, being. But she said, you have to fight him. And that began me. Really dealing with something that I had stirred up, and yet didn't know what it was, but I just knew I had to fight. I couldn't let this force take over. Later on, as I was beginning to research and being guided where I should go to get, yeah, to get guidance, get direction, uh, I read something in um, Paul Jung's book. Uh, what did he call it? His autobiography. Uh, reflections, dreams, and something else. That's right. And in it, yeah, and in it he talked about number one and number two man. And number one is that part of us that lives in the here and now. And number two is the unconscious dimension that is always seeking to take over and pull us back to a darker period, to a darker level of consciousness where it can in fact feed off of our energy because all of this everything in the universe is energy anyway we have been conditioned by the structure of our mind our consciousness to see forms discrete individual forms but you know back in the day when people did lsd all their forms went away and they just saw streams of energy so all of this is energy Mm -hmm. and those that was the energy form that came to attack me and take the energy from me that, you know, I, I had weakened so much that it realized, hey, here's my body. I can get this
0: and I can take that. So, you know, I dealt with that. So tell me, um, the machine that you woke up to, would you say that was the conditioned mind? That was the sense of self, the ego? Yes.
1: It's the mind, and, 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 and that's what the parable identity theft talks about, how we are connected to our true self, to spirit, when we come into the world, and we're guided by it if we stay with it, if we can, and we can't. That's why it said you must be born again. That's the way they said it hundreds, thousands of years ago and it continues to go. I don't think people understand. They think just throw somebody in the water and bring them out and dry them off and they're good. No, it has to do with the realization that we come into the world and we become entranced and immersed immersed, and have developmental challenges as we come, as, as babies in this life form. And by the time we're five or ten, all that's gone. So, For us to reconnect to self, to source, to the divine within, we have to be born again, meaning we have to wake up and realize who we are not so we can recover who we are in truth. It's a process of remembering, remembering. We must remember who we are in truth. But we can't remember until we identify this veil, the external self that is in front of us, that operates and takes charge of our daily lives if we are asleep, if we are unconscious, and or we think that that's who we are, which means we give that form the power of our identity. When we say, God out there, uh, the Savior over there. No, no, no. That's the power that we have as conscious sentient beings that we have to use to transform things, to do the work that we came here to do, and to wait based on something out there, the power, when it's not out there like that. It's in you as the, the one that taps the button, so to speak, that allows you to magnify your energy and your impact in the universe. If we deny that, then we don't assume responsibility for the work we're here to do.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So let me ask you another question, Reggie. Um, so you had this experience, and you, you saw this machinery of mind that had basically been running your whole life, you realized you hadn't actually done anything, you had just been doing the bidding of the conditioned mind. Uh, yeah. And, and then you were in this incredibly weakened state. And you were you were doubled over and your mother saw this entity trying to take over. Was that entity, the mind trying to reclaim you? Or was that entity actually something different than the mind?
1: Uh, there's the mind and its surrogate, the self-made self, which is the ego and lower self, which is a part of our personality configuration and structure. So it's those elements, and then this form, since it's all energy, it's intertwined. Mm. I'm sure there's overlapping and stuff. But I think when you present your present energy form in different conditions, in different ways, then different aspects of the energy that has been split off from you as a whole being, come into play mm. because that's their thing. They'd be like, oh, okay, boom. Somebody else, oh, oh, boom. So it's the splitting off of us. That I think the difference is the dramatic splitting off we see as people who have some kind of psychological, uh, emotional disorder. And we call it multiple personality disorder. And, you know, all kinds of things related to that. But it's really at the deeper level – it's, there's a fracturing that goes on within our psychic structure. Mm. And for some people, it goes so far that they can't come back. They can't reclaim it. They can't be healed from it in this lifetime. But, and then other people uh, can be healed, are healed, find the way to pass the door, as it were, and they are saved, as it were. So I think that's what those are, and they're different. The, the, the total energy form takes different uh, aspects or different expressions given the condition of each one of us as an entity and an energy form also. If you're weakened, this thing comes up. If you're empowered, something else comes in to support that. And that's why when we do a lot of negative stuff, a
0: lot of negative stuff happens to us. So I, I'm, I'm understanding what you're saying is that the, that that entity that was trying to take over, it was some darker fragment of yourself yes. that you know had yes. been split off, and now it saw an opportunity to take charge, and it was trying to to yes. take over. Understand. That's what I was trying to say. Yes, you said <laughs> you said it well. Very beautiful. So you survived that 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 attempted overtake and then you yeah. started this journey and i don't know how many yeah. years later but at some point and i believe as you said it was in in ethiopia you you had the the concluding experience which revolved around i think two uh, transmissions of wisdom that you received yeah. so i would love for you to tell us about that because that's of course, the the initial experience was sort of the bad news, <laughs> and that's right. The bad news came first, and then the then later the good news came. Uh, so tell us about the good news.
1: Okay, um, I was uh, I was like on the I don't know the let's say the eighth leg of my journey in Africa. I spent the first two months in Western Europe, and. I guess it really started. It really started in the Sudan, the South Sudan. I got on a train in um, Khartoum, the capital of the south of Sudan, and I just traveled. I was doing all this by myself anyway. I traveled all the way down south and got off the train. I said, "Okay, this is cool," and I got off there. (laughs) And it was there that. I originally started sensing that there was a reason why I was there. Like, why the hell? Because I was, you know, I was being guided when I was trusting enough to allow myself to be led, let's be clear, which wasn't often. It still isn't often for most of us. We still always let the ego and, you know, say, let's do it this way. And then when it don't work, the ego, like, hides out and say, that's your issue. You deal with that. So anyway... I went down to, yes, that's how it rolls. I went down to uh, South Sudan, and I, the people that I met, and I met a doctor from Doctors Without Borders, and he stood in the middle of the road, and it wasn't even a town. It was just a road with a couple of buildings on it. And he said to me, I think he was from uh, Northern Europe or something like that, and he said to me, you know, we're very fortunate. We're standing in a time in Africa when the old is passing away, but it is not yet gone. And we are graced by witnessing this. And I guess what came out of that with the realization, I was attracted. That's energy attracts energy. Energy attracts energy. Similar energy attracts similar energy on that most basic level. You being negative, you pull in the negative. You being positive, you pull in the positive. Well, what I realized is something that let me let me find that last sentence if I could. Um, it was there among the thinkers that I witnessed the last generations of those who are sustained by a traditional way of life that is rapidly disappearing from the African scene years later I realized that in some ways their journey mirrored my own passing away of the old without having yet given birth to the new so that's how that was for me
0: so did, did that initiate the experience that led to the transmissions
1: the transmission Took place in artist Yeah, I was just had gotten in artist after a month in South Sudan, and um, I went to a bookstore. I, I was in this third-class hotel, and I, I put my stuff down, went out in the street. I like to do that, and went down the hill, and there was a bookstore. They had about ten books in the whole store, which is not unusual in certain black communities. And uh, One was on African development. It was a penguin book with small print and very boring looking. I said, no, I don't know. know? But I said, my thing is Africa, though. And then the other one was What Life Should Mean to You by Alfred Adler. And I knew Adler. He was kind of straight-laced. He was more like um,
0: Freud. Mm. He was a disciple along
1: with Jung. He was more like Freud than uh the humor. It was spiritual. And Freud told him, Don't go messing with that spiritual stuff, man. You are open up some stuff way that you don't know how it's gonna turn out. So anyway, that's when the split came about. So for some reason I said, Well well, God, let me take this guy's book and read it. So I went up and I read it. And when I finished, I had a urge, a feeling, a movement. In my soul, in my spirit, in my being, that said, Something's getting ready to come through. You need to get ready. I was like, Oh, here's that feeling again, because I have had that feeling several times before, but it wasn't like this one in terms of its ultimate expression. So I got a pen and pencil, pen and paper, and I sat down on the edge of the bed. And then the what I call the Otis transmissions began.
0: So these are these are the transmissions okay. that you had in Otis.
1: Yeah. You have self-revelation and life's work. You are not who society or your friends or your family see you as. You are not who you imagine yourself to be. You are the transformative power of insight. You must stay true to yourself and your calling to help others remember they are spiritual beings clothed in human form. Know that you have all that you need to succeed. Whenever you question the value of your life's work, remember that those who feed others never go hungry. Know that regardless of your past, You are always on your path. Then the second one, I was also challenged to examine several areas of my life where I needed to grow in order to realize a greater measure of my potential. This one is called life challenges. Be open to others. Their talents, experience, and goodwill help you to make your way in the world. Stop worrying. As you know from past experience, that nothing is as hard or as bad as it may seem, and that was a big one for me. Still is pretty much, but you know, there it was. Nothing is as hard or as bad as it may seem, except that as the final authority in your own life, you are the source of your happiness as well as your pain and suffering. Remember, the power is not only within you; you are that power. Never forget. You only receive what you truly believe you are worthy of. You only receive what you truly believe you are worthy of. All is well. And just like that, the transmission ended. And I'll read this little piece after that. As I sat there that night looking out at the lights of Alice, I suddenly realized I had entered a realm of inner calm and joy, of lightness, and a profound sense of security and love, the likes, the likes of which I have never before nor since experienced. Maybe I was feeling loved and protected the whole time I was transcribing, but took no notice until the session's end. In that timeless moment, I was at peace with all of creation and one capital. Oh, with self, capital S. There were no boundaries. All was formless. There was no more longing, no more fear. I was whole. I was happy. I was free. Surely, if there's a heaven, I've already been there.
0: That is very beautiful. Very beautiful. So, so, so what do you think was happening to you at that time you know you you had had the earlier experience of recognizing the dominance of the conditioned mind over your life you you were liberated from it you you struggled through a battle with some darker fragment of yourself that tried to take control and then you got this transmission and fell into this experience of unity consciousness which as you describe it, was heaven on earth. What do you think happened?
1: What happened is I experienced, I, experienced I experienced enlightenment. I experienced that I was one with the source of all life. And that life is the ultimate form of intelligence. And before that, I didn't recognize that. I thought we were the form of intelligence, and ultimately, no, we are the offspring of that form. That form is not individualized in the way that we think about it. It's the universal self. It's the divine within. It means that force in me is the same force in you, that we are grounded in the same higher consciousness. And it is when we are there that we recognize that we are one and we are one with all of life. And until we make that breakthrough existentially, we never recognize really that all this is energy form and we are one with it. So that's when I started to look at healing. I think that's when that whole passion for healing and renewal and liberating grew in me, and I moved away from simply black consciousness or African nationalism. I was I, when I went back to the came back here to the states. I changed the whole interior layout of my bookstore from simply being a place of African consciousness and development, which is essential, that was important, our folks have to go, you have to learn, all of us, to accept your external self and your eternal self, from here to eternity, that's the right, name of that in the wisdom in, in the sayings, there's 130 of these in the book, and that's one, from here to eternity, the external self and the eternal self, we must embrace.
0: And so when you came back, you changed your store. Did you did you then make it? Did you then include more of the eternal eternal wisdom? Is that is that oh, what? yeah, oh yeah. Fantastic. So you were. Yeah, in- I started buying
1: banners from shops in New York that had you know the spiritual little banners and stuff. Yes. And little,
0: I started buying stuff like
1: that, and first people started coming back in the shop because I was the one who was. a movement. And I had made a transition. I had made a paradigm shift. And now I had all of these things that talked about healing and renewal, but not denial of the African part of yourself, but knowing that that's the external. Everybody has an external essence, but, I mean, being, but your internal, eternal essence is universal. It's the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so I started operating on that level. And then the clientele gradually started to change, to soften, to open up, to be more vulnerable, more thoughtful, more reflective. And then I began and I continued to teach. First I was teaching uh, black consciousness or African consciousness, and then I started to teach about the divine within ourselves. Mm. And... Because most of us were raised as Christians, initially, I would use some sayings or something from the Bible, like, seek ye first the kingdom within, and all things will be added unto you. And I said, you know, this is what you should be learning in the churches, that people should be telling you your power is you, is within you, It's the universal source of all life and authority. That's what you need to be connected to. And not just to this church, this sect, these beliefs—you know, all of that. You know, and I'm a preacher son, so I know about it. Like, yeah, whatever. It ain't that. It ain't that kind of party no more on this planet. And that's the transformation—the the consciousness that's sweeping. There's a sea change in consciousness on this planet. That's sweeping all the life forms in its wake, taking that those forms into a whole nother. Uh, place of expression and and, and let me say this please while I'm thinking about it some years ago I realized there's a saying that Jesus said he said you can't put new wine in old wineskins well all he was talking about is all of these new ideas and the power of thought is coming out of that you can't keep putting it in that old paradigm y'all wake up you got to get a new fundamental (laughs) structure to house and support this. So I'm saying it this way. We're living at a time when the more fundamental uh, aspects of our psyche are erupting and we have to now open up our minds, open up our consciousness to accommodate it because it's stronger. It is the force of the universe itself. We have no choice. Mm. and oh. that's what Jesus was saying 2000 years ago I'm like damn you're,
0: you're handsome <laughs> that's, that's amazing so so you're essentially saying that and you, you, we started the interview with this and then we've gone through your experiences and your uh, enlightenment experience and what you're seeing now is that you know the, the, the racial unrest and the fight for, yeah. for racial justice even COVID nineteen, uh, our challenges with, with climate change and, and the many 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 other challenges of right. polarization—they're all one. They're all part of one upheaval in consciousness, as you see it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And this, this is about about consciousness waking up to a new level. Yep.
1: We chose not to wake up, so the planet said hello. I got something for you. Wham! 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 Because I'm not going out like this with this crazy, alienated consciousness that you're walking around on me expression. So you're not willing or able to address this? Here, I'll wake you up. Here, here's this. Here, you'll wake up or you'll die.
0: I really feel that too. I feel like there's a there's a movement in consciousness. Yes that wants yes. a new possibility for this planet. Yes. And yes. it's not gonna be denied. Reggie, it's it's been a total pleasure to talk to you today, to let people know about your experience and your work and your book. And I know that we're gonna do, uh, we'll talk again in the future. The book is called Life is Funny, But It Ain't No Joke. A Journey of Awakening Through Wisdom Sayings, and it's by Reggie E. Walker. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk again soon.